Hi there. Thanks for tuning in to Public Service Psychology Now, the podcast series for Division 18 members to stay informed about division and APA activities. I'm your host, Tiffany Fennell, and today I'm joined by one of the five APA president-elect candidates, Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis. Before we begin, I just want to remind listeners that APA will be emailing members with voting privileges a link to their ballot really soon as voting begins on September 15th. So please um, keep a lookout for this in your inbox. All right, well, it's my pleasure to introduce Dr. Tama Bryant-Davis. She is a tenured professor of psychology in the Graduate School of Education and Psychology at Pepperdine University, where she directs the Culture and Trauma Research Laboratory. Dr. Bryant-Davis has been actively engaged with APA over many years. She is a past president of the Society for the Psychology of Women and a past APA representative to the United Nations, where she contributed to the APA resolution on racism and racial discrimination. She also chaired the APA Committee on International Relations and Psychology and served on the Committee on Women in Psychology. Dr. Bryant Davis is a co-editor of the APA text, Womanist and Mujerista Psychologies, which illuminates the psychology of Black women and Latinas and, and is the editor of the APA text, Multicultural Feminist Therapy, Healing Adolescent Girls of Color to Thrive. She is one of the foundational scholars on the topic of the trauma of racism. And in 2020, she gave an invited keynote address on the topic at APA. Along with reviewing for several APA journals on the topics of trauma and culture, she served as an associate editor for the APA journal, Psychological Trauma, Theory, Research, Practice, and Policy. All right, well, thank you so much for being here today to share your goals as APA president and your vision with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here and I'm loving the innovation of your division in terms of this creative opportunity for the podcast. Thank you so much. I, uh, as I was saying earlier before we started recording, I think it's uh, such a great experience for folks to be able to hear the passion of the candidates from their own voice as opposed right. to just reading text. So <laughs> I really appreciate you um, sharing, um, being here with us today to, to do just that. Well, maybe we'll start with your goals. What are your major goals as APA president? Yes, so my goals have been shaped by my life experience and professional experience. And so I thank you so much for that warm introduction. And I wanna say I am uh, unique in my candidacy in terms of my multiple roles as a psychologist. Um, and so I am a researcher, an educator, a practitioner, an advocate, and a consultant. And one of the things that I have seen as I have been campaigning and even previously is when I'm meeting with different state associations and different divisions is actually hearing the divide uh, within APA, that many groups and subgroups and subfields feel uh, unacknowledged, feel overlooked, feel like uh, they are not included. And so it can be challenging when people feel like, well, this person is gonna represent that group, but what about my group? Mm -hmm. And I think it's actually one of the beauties 
um, of your division as well is that you have multiple uh, professional roles within the division. And that vantage point, I believe, is an asset because then I don't have to imagine what are the needs of the various groups or what are the priorities of the various groups and what are the common themes, even if we're languaging it different ways. And I say all that to say one of my primary goals in terms of the organization um, is to create a better sense of belonging and inclusion and to heal many of the ruptures that we see in the division that are in the organization that are long lasting. So this is not just something that happened last year. Uh, it has been uh, building and brewing and is a part of the human experience is how do we deal with difference, but then within that, how do we deal also with power and privilege? And so being mindful of the marginalized voices uh, within APA and the importance of hearing those. Uh, my experiences have helped me with that, one being from multiple marginalized identities, but also uh, over 20 years ago, APA received uh, non-governmental status at the United Nations. And I was blessed to be selected as one of those first uh, representatives from APA. And one of the things I learned at the UN was consensus building, because mm -hmm. usually what we just learned is majority rules. Right? It's like you take the vote and whatever most people want, that's what we're going to have. Even if people who are smaller in number, and in this case, I'll say even some smaller divisions may have very good ideas. And so we can miss out on that when we're just looking at like the biggest. Right. And so uh, it was powerful to learn at the UN what it took to build languaging and policy and legislation and monitoring ideas in a way that everybody could sign up for, which means it takes longer. That's <laughs> one of the things that it, it just, that's, that is the nature of the work, but believing that it's worth it to hear um, from, from diverse vantage points. So one of my priorities is healing the ruptures within APA and really looking to unify us um, mm -hmm. because we know anyone who studies systems or families knows that when we are divided, uh, we are weakened and we cannot be the fullness of who we are as an organization. So what are these unifying themes? Uh, for me, it really is attending to trauma, loss, and injustice that whatever uh, a person's division, whatever their professional role, that there is a part that trauma, loss, injustice, or inequity uh, show up in that. And if we can rally as an organization around those themes and how to be of service to addressing those themes in the outer world, uh, it allows us to, to build the bridge. Um, so I am also a trauma psychologist, and a, a big piece of my work has also looked at uh, inequities and injustices, not just documenting that they have negative effects. And I hope we are way beyond that, that we should all know these things have negative consequences, but looking at the ways that we repair, the ways that we build equity, the way we build systems that are more inclusive, and uh, our scientists have done great work in this area and a big piece is then disseminating that knowledge. Our practitioner 
have, practitioners have such wisdom in these areas and in public service. And so uh, not only addressing those themes is a priority of mine, but also extending our reach. Uh, one of the challenges is when our work just stays in uh, journal articles. And I love you all's journal. And at the same time, it's only those of us in the field that read it. Mm -hmm. And so then how do we translate it and disseminate it so the public can make use of it? Um, and so that even our colleagues who are uh, practitioners and consultants can make use of it. Um, and so extending our reach and also being interdisciplinary is um, a goal of mine. And that is you know, work that I have done academically and in the community is working with multiple stakeholders uh, and the last large goal that I'll mention is I want to do a parallel convention. So my convention um, where I would have some say in it would be in 2023. And um, I would love to hold a parallel convention there in Washington, D.C. for the public, where mm -hmm. each of the uh, divisions and subfields uh, takes a piece of their work that people can utilize in order to rebuild. Um, especially during this time when we think of the pandemic and we think of oppression, you know, what have we come up with that is helpful for people that they could take away uh, and apply in their communities? Um, and so those are my major themes, rebuilding the organization, addressing trauma, loss and oppression, disseminating our work and our reach by uh, working interdisciplinary uh, this interdisciplinary and also uh, collaboratively, mm -hmm. because one of the complaints I'll just say that some people have said is when we come in with that hierarchy of like, we know best and we're here to help you, but we've already set the agenda, which is very problematic, right? But to actually co-create the agenda and to then uh, work it through uh, to completion together with other organizations, uh, and other communities, I think will be very beneficial. Wow, that's really interesting. And um, I have so many thoughts um, kind of fluttering around my my mind, but one of the one of the really coolest one of the coolest things I heard you say was a parallel convention for the public. Um, and I mean that that's a really unique way again to help kind of translate that science or bring it to the public. Um, in a way that they can digest and, and, and appreciate it and hopefully apply it, you know, make it applicable. That's right. Yeah. Wow. That's really a neat concept. Really cool. Oh, thank you. And, and I'll just say along those lines, we, we have to be aware of the times we are in. Uh, past presidents and past candidates have often come up with these ideas of how to convince the public we have something to offer, but that's not actually the time we're in now people are looking to us. A lot of practitioners mm -hmm. are full. People are saying like, help us, <laughs> what is the solution? So it's not so much we're in a place of needing to convince, we need to deliver. Mm -hmm. wow. um, well, you, you mentioned some, some things around Division 18 when you were sharing your goals, but just wanna ask you, how familiar are you with Division 18? Yes. I am so appreciative of the work that you all uh, do as it relates to psychology and the public service. One, I became most familiar probably through your journal. 
Um, and I think that's a great way for us to educate each other about the work that we're doing. Um, and I'll say as an educator to be able to utilize it, not only as a resource for myself, but for my students. Um, and I love the breadth of the organization in terms of uh, the different populations that are targeted or that are serviced. Um, because one of the challenges uh, within psychology is us teaching a very limited set of options of what psychologists can do. But within uh, your division, you see the range mm -hmm. of work that people are doing uh, in service of the public. And I, I, will, I would like to say I was honored uh, as an early career psychologist that our directorate on uh, public interest, psychology and the public interest, um, awarded me uh, for my work in service of the public. And it is a big part of why I got into psychology. So, you know, usually we have our story of how did we end up in this field? And I'll say for mine, an abbreviated version is I grew up as a pastor's daughter. And so uh, the kind of the, the messaging or the values that were drilled in was giving back and paying attention to those who are marginalized, those who have been neglected, uh, those who have not been served. And when I look at the work of the division, that is the thing that I find so remarkable, noteworthy, honorable is attending to the margins and making them the center. That, that is the work. Um, and so I, I'm appreciative and would love to have uh, the support of the members as they're doing the work that they're doing and also thinking strategically about how we can highlight that work uh, to the public, but also to our students and early career psychologists so they can know um, these valuable places where they can have impact. Right. Thank you. Mm. Total I agree. Um, well, how do you see the role of public service psychology in connection with your presidential initiatives? Again, yeah. I know you spoke, you hit on some of this too, but just yes. an opportunity to flesh out a little bit more. That's right. Uh, so my presidential platform theme is thriving in a post-pandemic world, applying psychological science to enhance people's lives. So that's a mouthful, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it is. And also we're not yet post-pandemic. So I have to keep telling people we're hoping by 2023, <laughs> something has shifted. Uh, but not only dealing with the pandemic, but dealing with uh, economic crises and uh, oppression and all of its various forms. And so within... Uh, that notion of thriving, I have these five keys, and I think that the keys um, work directly with or reflect the work um, of the division. And so the first one is actually addressing trauma and loss. And so when we look at psychologists who are working in Indian country, multiple losses, you know, and needing to be able to deal with traumatic grief, uh, needing to address violence against women, and indigenous women in the U.S. face the highest rates of intimate partner abuse. Um, I, when we look at, of course, our veterans, veterans affairs, that are very high rates of, of trauma and exposure. And we see the long-term consequences um, in terms of the impact on their families, uh, the impact around uh, addictions, uh, the impact around uh, lack of housing. And so uh, the work that has been being done in these multiple arenas. The second one 
A second key is addressing inequities and injustices. And uh, one of the populations that is often overlooked um, are people with disabilities. And so your focus on uh, persons with severe mental illness um, really come to mind in terms of the stigma, uh, the lack of servicing, the lack of preparation, uh, even for our students in terms of being responsive. And that then connects around criminal justice and um, attending to the work of police officers. So I am on my uh, neighborhood council in Los Angeles, and it's a unique kind of a governmental space where we serve as liaisons. We're elected by members of the community to serve as a liaison to city council and to speak about the issues uh, in our community. So what we're able to, uh, to submit what we call these community impact statements. And so one of the recent ones that I drafted was in support of funding and legislation to have unarmed mobile units. Um, to go out and uh, address people who are having a mental health crises uh, mm -hmm. so that it does not escal escalate. And one of the things people often aren't aware, but um, a high percentage of people who were killed by police in the last 10 years who were unarmed were people who were living with mental illness. And so, you know, telling those stories, being an advocate and helping people to advocate for themselves around um, organizations that are peer-led and also organizations that are uh, professionally led. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's the second one around inequities. And we know multiple inequities and injustice uh, being actively anti-racist, actively anti-oppression. And I love that you all um, have your diversity focus as well. Um, and, you know, the, the commitment to not only awareness raising, but like combating it. So one of the things I said in our presidential forum was, because the question was around how we can promote civility. And kind of my point was, we need to be beyond how do we have civil conversations, right? Like th th we're, this is a state of emergency. So like saying, I'm gonna use my psychological skills to have difficult dialogues, like we we need to shift things. We need to shift systems. So conversation is important, but conversation with with measurable outcomes is also very much important. Um, so then the third key is um, whole, promoting holistic therapies. I love the work that's being done around body-based therapies. And I'll say my background, uh, I'm a dancer. So I love movement and so all this trauma-informed yoga and uh, I love it. Um, and just that there are experiences that people have that are beyond words, that it's hard to articulate it. And we know that even from our science that traumatic memories are difficult to retrieve and then speak about. And so instead of just calling people resistant, how do we meet people where they are mm -hmm. with collage, with drama, with music? Uh, another part of holistic therapies is integrating the culture. And this is ethical treatment. Some people will say, like, is that being political? And it's like to ignore the culture of the person that's sitting in front of you. And you meet with them for months, for years, and, and just act like that's not a thing. It's, that is unethical. Um, and then the last one that I highlight under holistic therapies is attending to people's spirituality. And that's another one most of our models absolutely ignore. But our research finds that um, on average, psychologists endorse lower religiosity than the general public. 
So what does that mean if the majority of people you're serving find it important in their meaning making and we don't even assess it, right? Let alone address it or integrate it respectfully, um, then that is, it is a, a rupture, it's an oversight and it's problematic. Uh, the fourth key is rebuilding communities. And so when we think about um, persons living with mental illness, when we think about our veterans, when we think about the criminal justice system, a big protective factor, especially for returning citizens coming out of incarceration or on probation, a big protective factor is social support. And many people in the criminal, some call it injustice system, <laughs> many people report feeling like unsupported or that they have never had a support system. And so that really makes uh, recidivism high and it really being hard to you talk about reintegrating the community. If I was never considered a part of the community, how do I do that? And so uh, the work, the wonderful work of community psychologists and others who have been intentional about how do we build or rebuild a sense of community. And then my last one I've kind of mentioned with body base, which is integrating the expressive arts. And um, that's another example of why it's important to attend to the not so loud voices. So the persons in psychology utilizing creativity are not like a large political force in the organization, but when we really look at most of, most, of, most of our interventions, there is some integration and recognition of the value of creativity. And so um, I love that and think that all of these five keys have shown up with all of the populations uh, that you all service. Absolutely. Um, I see how we can integrate or connect with all of those, all of your keys. <clears throat> um, and on that note, how do you imagine engaging Division 18 or its members in your initiatives? Yes. So I would want uh, Division 18 members to be um, a part of task forces that are created to implement uh, each of these uh, keys. I would want them to be participants in our parallel uh, convention. And I also would like to do um, a division survey, um, but unlike some past surveys, where we actually get the feedback from the surveys. <laughs> you, you know, most of us can remember, like we, the, we get these emails, we get asked to fill out things, and then it like goes somewhere, like in the abyss, right? Yes. Which I think makes it hard to motivate people to continue to participate. Cause you're like, I think I did something before, but whatever happened with that? So it, that's a part of my leadership style's transparency. So if we're collecting data, but only the, the, those in governance get to see it or know about it, um, that, that is a problem. So yes, another survey, but this time uh, one that is transparent and that we then build on uh, in terms of how we can be um, bet better leaders and better uh, community participants. Um, would be some of the major ways I would want the, the division support. Wonderful. <clears throat> Excuse me. That's wonderful. Sorry, I have a little frog in my throat. Oh, that's all right. Um, is there anything else you'd like to share with our members? Sure. I would. I, I love sharing kind of uh, free resources for those either for yourself, because I do want to say, uh, yes, those of us who are in practice, you can pass this on to your clients. 
but we ourselves are in need of support and we are carrying a lot and it's like this double message we often give students in the academy where we tell them self-care but don't give them a schedule that allows for self-care um and so our wellness really being a priority this whole piece of like who's healing the healers you know who who is advocating for us supporting us and so the resource i want to share in alignment with you all doing this wonderful podcast is i started a podcast uh, two years ago and it is called homecoming uh <laughs> homecoming podcast with dr tama it's on spotify soundcloud itunes and youtube and each week um, I talk about a different mental health topic. And so the topics on there can serve us as professionals, but also are um, topics that you can pass on to your clients, to your students. And I think that is an important way of us giving away our science, our, mm -hmm. uh, sharing our science, that it should not just be for the elite or for the wealthy or for the highly educated, but how do we get uh, this information, this psychological knowledge, how do we disseminate it to those who have been the most uh, overlooked and disenfranchised? And I'll just say uh, uh, some, some members may already be familiar, but for those who are not, it's a great example of when we talk about decolonizing psychology um, and making psychology accessible with a focus on liberation for all people. And so if you want to get more a sense of who I am, my campaign website is one way, but the podcast is another where, again, you can hear my voice. That's awesome. I love podcasts. I will definitely check it out. Oh, thank you. And I, I'll put a link um, to it in, the, in our um, episode notes. Yes. Uh, thank you. Podcast so with Dr. Tama. Awesome. Yes. Yes. All right. And I, I you know, oftentimes... I remember being in grad school and even from time to time now, I hear that take care of yourself. I'm like, yeah, it's so contradictory. Right, <laughs> right. And, and I would just say organizations, for those of us who do industrial and organizational psychology, they often get annoyed if they bring me in to do like a self-care workshop when I get to the slides around like the institutional responsibility, <laughs> they, they hate it because it should be just like tell people to light candles, to take a nap. But there, there also are ways that we can create systems that are more supportive of our care. And that's right. what some people have talked about, mutual care. Mm -hmm. uh, the example that is often given is if you tell a single mother of three to just take care of herself, you know, it's problematic. Where's the community or the social support? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, thank you so much. I, I've enjoyed speaking with you and hearing your perspectives and Sounds like really interesting ideas that you have, very novel ideas. Um, and so I will um, be sure, as I mentioned, to um, link your campaign website in the episode notes along with your podcast so people can check that out. And uh, really appreciate your time. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we bring this episode to a close? I was almost done. And then I remember one thing. I'm Go sorry. Ahead. Yeah. When I when I mentioned the policy around the unarmed mobile units, I just want people to know uh, that the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department, because I know many of uh, the people in the division work with the police, actually supported the legislation around um, specific uh, calls. Hmm. Because some people will say, oh, 
you know, uh, is this quote unquote being fair to the police, but we have to also be mindful of what the impact is when people are expecting police officers to be social workers or to be psychologists. And so uh, one of the big ones they said that they would love to be taken over by mental health professionals are what they call wellness checks. Mm -hmm. So they get calls all the time from people mm -hmm. saying, my auntie's not answering the phone. I live in another state. Can you go check on them? Or my son is living you know, with mental illness. Can you go check on him? And so um, I just want people to know when I talk about that policy that here in Los Angeles, they're doing research to be able to develop it well to know what are the cases or the circumstances that would be better served yeah. um, by persons in our field. Thank you for, for the clarification for, for sharing more about that. Yes, absolutely. All right, well, we'll bring this episode to a close. Again, thank you so much, um, Dr. Bryant Davis. And thank you all to listeners for tuning in. I really hope that you're enjoying these, um, this series with um, speaking with the candidates. And um, we have, I think, one more uh, candidate um, interview to, um, or candidate to interview. And so then that will complete the five um, interviews. And remember that I think the election starts next week on right, September yes. 15th. So again, just be on the lookout in your email for the for your link to your ballot. And um, I guess I will wish everyone a good um, kind of into the summer as well. So take care. Bye. <laughs>